to the Discuss with Andy podcast. Here I am discussing with Andy again. How are you, Andy? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, sitting here in Winchester, teaching remotely on a lockdown, but getting through it. You? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, we haven't been uh, we haven't been here for a while, have we? And it'd uh, be good to get back and discuss a few things. Um, what's been on your mind recently, Andy? Well, there's always things on my mind, probably because I've got too much time on my hands. But in particular, something that's on my mind started at the beginning of lockdown when the first lockdown back in March, the first sport back was the NRL. So I started to watch a lot of rugby league. Um, then, and luckily the re, uh, rugby union season started again. Um, and then the Autumn Nations Cup and the end of the Six Nations just bored the crap out of everybody. Oh dear. So that's on my mind. We probably should explain, though, that your background is, is with Union. Um, it is, yes. I'm from the South. Never really got a chance to play rugby league, which I will always, always regret, though. Oh, OK, fair enough. That's always there. Uh... But you travelled the world playing Union, um, you know, so your, your major sport from your, from your past. Um, so this is, not a, this is not a rugby union bashing discussion. This is very much a, a, a passionate discussion and wondering why things are happening the way they are, maybe. Yeah, and I think why a committed rugby union fan has begun to prefer rugby league. Sounds good. So uh, let's let's start then. Where do you want to, where, do, where would you like to start? I think uh, place to start really is probably England against Italy at the end of the Six Nations. Okay. What happened? What happened was the the ball was kicked seventy five times in the game. Okay, forty four times it was kicked by England. 31, time, uh, 31 times it was kicked by Italy. Um, now, you hear that kicking the ball is the only way to win international rugby matches. I think England can beat Italy without kicking the ball 44 times. Now, maybe it's a choice because you maybe can't beat other teams by running it as often, but it just seemed completely unnecessary to me. Okay, so I see what you're saying. So... They've got a game plan, and this is the way we're going to play, regardless of the opposition, because this is us. Yes, which is what it seemed to be to me. And I hate to try and second-guess Eddie Jones, because he clearly knows far more about it than I do. Um, but I, even he, I don't think, would argue about the fact that you can beat Italy and play in a very different way. And it, would be, it would be a nice challenge, wouldn't it? Can you, can you play this game without kicking the ball? Yeah, I think it would be interesting. Um, and I realise that international rugby is probably not the place to have little games like that that you might try out in training. Um, but I also get that international rugby is about winning. If we'd won the World Cup 9-6 um, and it kicked the ball 55 times and won, nobody would complain, would they? Maybe it's different when it's Italy and we expect a little bit more. Yeah, true, true. But at times, did we not get found out against um, South Africa in the World Cup final? We tried to play the same way, and actually, we we got found wanting, and and maybe maybe could have looked at a different different direction that might have helped. Yeah, I think early on in that World Cup again, didn't we? We tried to uh, move the ball in our twenty-two. It went wrong, um, and we didn't sort of adjust from there. But ultimately, what happened that day, which is something that makes rugby union interesting, was we got beaten up physically by a South African team who did absolutely know their game plan. Um, and they did it extremely well. Do you have do you have stats on the on the kicks from there or not? 
Probably not. It's fine. Uh, no, we're looking at South Africa kicking the ball about 30 times in that game. Yeah. Um, but I think what is interesting about the kicks is, is how kicking has changed. Um, I was looking at some things sort of in preparation for this, and the box kick is now 23% of all kicks in international games. That's what the stat was at the last Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Whereas if you wind it back to two thousand, uh, if you wind it back to two thousand and three, yeah. only six percent of kicks in the game were box kicks. Okay. So, what is it that's brought about that change? Um, yeah, you know, why is it just a sort of tactical shift we've got at the moment? And like any tactical shift, will it have its day, or is it here to stay? Yeah, I mean, it's the different types of kick. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit less risky the box kick. Now, because you, the defenses are not up so you know the, the defenses are up so quickly for for a standoff or, or first receiver, you've got to receive that pass and then get rid of it. And by passing it back twenty meters, you've actually got to kick it twenty meters further in order to gain the distance. Yeah, yeah. I think of course they can kick the ball an awfully long way at that level. Um, if we tried that at Winchester, passing the ball twenty meters backwards, we'd end up with a negative ten yardage, wouldn't we? It so, bounce twice uh, before the twenty meters. <laughs> And this is one of the problems, of course, you get at our community level is people copy what's done on the TV, um, whether it suits them or not. So I just, I have my doubts about the box kick as a tactic. And I think at some stage it will start to disappear. You're a fly half or were in your day. Um, I'm sure you probably play scrum half as well. What does the box kick give you? Um, For me, it's a bit less risky because you haven't got that pass. Yeah. Um, you you nowadays you can really protect the nine. You can have that long long ruck or maul that that just allows that those two the um, off sideline to be so much further away from the nine. Um, yeah. You've got all the time in the world to kick that ball. Um, it has variations. I think it's easier to control the variations because you've got um, different heights and different lengths um, that you can that you can kick it. And to be honest with you, there's normally only a winger there. Your yeah. 15 might who's going to be in field, um, and if your winger's up, then your 15's there, and you actually then you've got another winger. The open side winger might have dropped back, but actually it's quite a long way away. Um, so if you if you, if the defensive guy steps back, you can dink it over the top, and then you've got that space. So you can exploit the space a bit more. If if they stand tight because they're going to sit underneath that that high ball then obviously you can put in a lower, flatter one that, that makes them turn and, and, and go over the top. So I think it is quite, it's quite a good weapon, and clearly people are exploiting it, but are they exploiting it too much? 75 times in a game, in a game that only lasts 80 minutes, and actually the ball's not in play for 80 minutes, that's an awful lot of kicking. Yeah, I, do, I sometimes wonder what you get from it. Obviously, you watch some of the people, some of the wingers in the air, their aerial skills are incredible. Yeah, um, right. And the way that they can regain possession at times... But then my problem with that is when we do regain possession off the box kick, um, sometimes we box kick again. Um, so what has the point been? Or when the other team field the kick, they then box kick. Mm. Um, and we just go through this pattern. And I'm not quite sure what the actual outcome we're looking for is. Is it that we're just looking for uh, a defensive line that's slightly misaligned so we get a chance to run the kick back and find some space? Um that's what I don't really get from it. Yeah, it's a bit too samey. It'd be nice. I mean, I know we, when we were coaching together, we tried to, we tried to have multiple areas to attack. We had a kicking game, 
we had a short game, we had an expansive game, and that's what I feel made us successful because regardless of the opposition, we would find a way of of getting in the opposition half and scoring and scoring points. Um, yeah. It was nice to see in the last lockdown we were referred to as the Barcelona of the Winchester history, um, which was I thought went down. Ben O'Reilly put himself highly up there for the being being messy, but I'm not sure he was. Uh, he was yeah, yet another another deluded tight head prop. Yeah, um, <laughs> he was a hooker. <laughs> so well, it was because his back was to something else. I never understood. His back was too bad to play tight head, so he moved to hooker, which. <laughs> I've never quite got my head around why that's all right. But anyway, he was a very good player. We were lucky to have him. He was a very good player, yeah. We won't Um, send him this podcast. So I was looking at some things about sort of ball in play time and people will argue that Rugby Union is a much better product now. And in fact, I don't think you have to argue that much to say that if you compare it to my day, it's light years better as a spectator sport. Yeah. But you chuck around a ball in play time, was it? it's about 34 minutes now at the last World Cup compared to 28 in 1987. But the ball is in play in a kicking duel. Um, and is that really what you want to watch? A load of forwards standing in the middle of the pitch, rearranging themselves into a line, turning around a little bit, then rearranging themselves into a line again. Um, that's ball in play time. Is it what we want to see? So what would you rather see? From a pure spectator point of view, I would rather see teams balance their kicking game with a running game. Yeah, I'd rather see coaches try and find new ways to uh, to attack other than just kicking. I watch Exeter, who I really enjoy watching, and everybody seems to think they're all about their play from five metres out. Mm. But they never talk about how uh, Exeter gets to five metres out. And they're one of the few teams... I'm seeing other teams doing it. I see Wasp doing a little bit in the Premiership. They're one of the few teams actually who run set plays from scrum. Yeah. They actually want to get the ball out. And they do some fantastic stuff, which gets them 30, 40 metres down the pitch and gets them into those positions. And they're, they're, it does seem that the end point of a scrum, first choice for everybody is a penalty. Yes. And that frustrates me enormously. Um, which, of course, was something I was looking at. And, again, you'll get certain people who will say, well, there's only 14 scrums in a game now, so I don't know why people are complaining about the amount of time it takes to complete one. There's 14 scrums in a game on average, but there's an average of 3.7 penalties a game. Mm. Now, if we look back to 1987, where admittedly there were 32 scrums in a game, but only 2.9 of those ended in a penalty. So actually the penalties per game have gone up massively and the scrum is supposed to be something that restarts the game. Yeah. And it's changed and it's become a method of running of winning a penalty. And I don't understand why that change has happened because if you look at the law book, a lot of the things that are penalised aren't laws. And that's something that really annoys me. Um, An example? Well, if you look at various things, so... Excuse me, I just need to check this here. All right, so if we look at where you can give penalties from the scrum, we look in the law, but the first thing about the scrum, it says, is the purpose of the scrum is to restart play with a contest for possession. Perfect. Nowhere in that does it say is to win a penalty. Yeah. 
And the point of the scrum is, if you've got a good solid scrum, you're going slightly forward, you've got space and time to attack into. Okay, if your scrum is going backwards, you've got a messy ball to deal with, your options are limited. Now, if you look at certain things, it says law 37, intentionally collapsing a scrum, i.e. intentionally falling or kneeling, sanction is a penalty. Uh, then we've got players may push provided they do so straight and parallel to the ground, sanction, penalty. So there are only two things in a scrum that you can give a penalty for. Okay. So when people talk about things like hinging, going around the outside, uh, they're not laws. I mean, hinging, I guess you're claiming that you're not parallel to the ground. But then you go back to Rule 37. Is that intentional? Most scrums go down by accident. Are we in the professional game whereby they're good at hoodwinking us and that it okay it it may not be intentional but it's enough to stop the dominance of a scrum and therefore I'd rather give away a penalty than give you a clean ball. Um, yes, um, I think you're probably right. I think Australia probably uh, really pioneered that tactic um, <laughs> 15, 20 years ago when they didn't have any props. But. <laughs> Some of it, we come again to this coaching mindset. Yeah. Is the scrum an opportunity to attack with ball in hand, or is it an opportunity to win a penalty? And trying to win penalties from scrums, in my opinion, is a really risky uh, business because referees don't really know what they're doing. You'll see a team dominate for two reset scrums. Then on the third one, the referee will ping them. Um, so I just feel that you're better off trying to play with the ball. And that's why we all played. That's all why, why we played in the end. We wanted the ball in hand. We wanted to. I mean, I know you enjoyed the contact of being in the front row of that that contest, but you'd rather it was a contest. And if you lost, you lost. If you win, you win. And you look forward to the uh, next one. Yeah, I mean, since really since uh, I well, I guess it came in while I was playing. But yeah, in my early days, you didn't even have to be back five meters from the scrum. So you were stood uh, just slightly behind the back foot, so you had no space to attack into, but you still tried to attack into it. Admittedly, defences weren't very good in those days, but you're given that extra space. And I will watch uh, super rugby teams, well, particularly New Zealand super rugby teams, try and do things. Yeah. Um, and then I'd watch the Premiership, where you'll see it a lot, Austin Healy does it a lot on BT Sport, he'll draw out possible scenarios from the scrum, and then, of course, we have four resets, and then it's a penalty. I think if we come back to the scrum, and I would like to point out here that I was a hooker and I like scrums, yeah. so and I fundamentally want them to stay. And again, we get this argument, people saying, well, but there's only 14 scrums a game now. Um, so if we compare that to the days there was 32, then surely that's better. But I think the big difference is the average time a scrum takes is 80 seconds. Now, that's one scrum. You add in the resets, and we are ending up with games where 15 minutes are taking up with scrums. And that's just not right. 15 minutes and there's only 14 scrums. It just doesn't seem right. Um, and that, I need to stop saying up, but that's something that, again, doesn't really... I watch a game of Rugby Union. If I watch it live, I watch it with a book in my lap, and I read the book in the gaps. I make a choice with Rugby Union to record it generally 
and then watch it later on catch up so I can forward wind all those bits. Yeah. I love rugby union. I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Rugby league, I try it and I don't get anywhere with my book. There's no time to read it. So, so uh, yeah, if, if you're looking at that, how, how is rugby union going to, and it's probably branching off to a different topic, how is it going to reach out to a global audience if diehard rugby people are maybe getting a little bit disillusioned with with the length of time it takes to restart a game, you wouldn't watch fifteen minutes of of um, of Owen Farrell kicking the ball ten meters to restart it. Oh, we didn't do that one properly, so we'll come back and we'll let him kick it again. You just wouldn't. Yeah. You just wouldn't see that. And I think that is a real issue. If I can't put up with it, what is your neutral? Your uh, sort of part-time fan, your Six Nations only fan, maybe. What are they going to make of it? And for rugby to be a successful game commercially. You do need them to be on side with them to understand it to some degree. Completely agree. Completely agree. Okay, so we talked about rugby league as well. So, and you mentioned the book and and not getting to read your book. What's what, yeah? What's the love well, of rugby speak, league at the moment? The love of rugby league. It did, I've always liked it. Um, sort of back in the day, I've got really couple of really good friends from Leeds, and we go up to Leeds at the weekend when we didn't have rugby. And we go and watch Leeds. So I've got good memories of being stood on that terrace at Headingley. Um, and I, I don't really understand how you can be a rugby union fan and not like rugby league. Um, it's ultimately it's pretty much the same thing as people running into each other and trying to smash each other, <laughs> which appeals appeals to me. Maybe not to you. I don't know. But. I'm glad you don't work for England rugby at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's something the rugby league I think probably does need to think a lot about. But um, we'll stick to. I think it's a sheer amount of action. They talk about there's rugby union makes a big deal now. Boring playtime, thirty four minutes of the last World Cup. Obviously, what they don't mention is twenty nine minutes of that is box kicking. But if you look at rugby league, the average time in the Super League this season is fifty five minutes boring play. Right. Okay. So that, 21 minutes more. There are some games it was up to 66 uh, minutes of boring playtime. Now, that is an enormous difference. Um, you do need to think, of course, that in the same way that a lot of rugby union boring players box kicking and catching, a lot of rugby league is one-out runners off the dummy half. Yeah. Um, and how exciting that is, I don't know. I do sometimes find myself drifting a little bit in rugby league games. Um and then switching on when it's the fourth tackle or the fifth tackle to see if anything might happen. Yeah. But there is just so much action. It's constant because because even if it is one out runners, there's still going to be a collision that people enjoy a big tackle, um, and and that's and that's appealing to some people. Yeah, and they they were pretty smart with some COVID based laws about uh, penalties at the tackle rather than. Um, They've been awarding you six again mm. rather than having the opportunity to kick to touch. And that opportunity for six again means that you can keep the pace high. It means that you're maybe retaining the ball for more sets. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously fatiguing the opposition as well. So I thought that was quite a smart rule change that looks like it will be here to, ch- uh, to stay. Yeah, I mean, if you get a, a good rule change, that that's really pleasing to see, isn't it? Has there been a rule change recently with Rugby Union at all that's, that's helped the game? Well, you've got to remember with our rugby union, there's only laws, um, and they, they never change the laws, they interpret them differently. Okay. Um, they're not prepared to rewrite laws for some reason, 
And one of my big issues is that referees don't actually referee the laws as they stand. And if they did, we could solve a lot of the problems. For instance? Well, uh, you mentioned the uh, the very long rucks to enable people to box kick. Yeah. Do you enjoy watching those? It takes a little while to get going, yeah. I'd like to see a charge down every now and then. I quite enjoyed a charge down. I used to coach yeah. the charge down. I used to, you know, actively get the boys to practice it because they need to feel what it's like to to get a ball in the arm every now and then. And and what you know, it's a good way to react to learn how to react off it if they've never done it before and suddenly it happens. How do you? What do you do now? Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. Exactly. So I used to like trying to charge down twenty two. So it was always good fun. Um, <laughs> I think I've got that to do in my whole career, but I like to try. I think the problem I've got with the Caterpillar Ruck is people do see it as a bit of a as a bit of an issue. Um, and obviously we've got the law about the fact that you've got five seconds at the back to use it. It's hardly ever refereed. Yeah. So if the law's there, why not referee it? All you've got to do is referee it constantly in one game and people will stop doing it. There are other things... You very often see the people in the Caterpillar put a knee on the floor. Now, if they put a knee on the floor, they're off their feet. Yeah, It's quite simple. That's what the law says. So as soon as their knee touches the floor, it's a penalty to the other team. That will make you think twice about doing it. You will sometimes see scrum halves roll it back, the ball back with their hands to get it from maybe the second foot back to the worst handling in the ruck. That's illegal. Can't do it. You know... Yeah, these laws are already there. And the other thing you see, which again annoys me, is you will see scrum halves uh, roll, push the ball forward with their foot into their player on the ground, just so it looks like it's more in the ruck. Well, that, player, that player is then offside, yeah. because you've deliberately played the ball into it when he's in front of it. So that should be penalised as well. And the other side of the coin would be, if they did referee it like that, it really would be a... Uh, a poor show and you would get lots of people turning off well yes or, but or they would, would play better or they would play for the laws yeah coaches would be forced to do something else wouldn't they the problem is of course with professional coaches is they will find another way around it yeah because that's what they get paid to do but <clears throat> yeah uh, there are other things as well that annoy me about the laws. <laughs> While you're on a roll, Andy, you keep going. While I'm on a roll. And some of these things are things that I think are common across teaching and maybe policing, whereby if you let little things go, standards drop across the board. Okay. And there are so many things at Rugby Union that are let go, and I think it kind of helps explain why players feel they can talk to the referees about everything, mm. why players get told three times to take their hands off the ball. You know you can't put your hands on the ball if you're not on your feet. So surely it's a penalty straight away. Why do you need to tell them? But hookers standing on the field to throw the ball in. Ah, yeah. It quite clearly says in the law book, the player throwing in the ball stands on the mark of touch with both feet outside the field of play. The thrower must not step into the field of play until the ball has been thrown. So why are they allowed to stand inside the field of play? I distinctly remember in my days the amount of times I got told off by the touch judge. Come back, you know, all I, I couldn't throw it more than about five metres, so I need to try and squeeze as much as I could. But 
why are they allowed to do it? I, I just really don't understand it. And that's where they need to learn. Not often we say this, but we could learn from netball. They're very, very precise about addressing the line. Yeah. When you throw quite right too. And and I almost feel that's over officious. I'd I would almost like to see netball come the other way, and and I'd like to see a quick throw in as soon as you get the ball. I'd like the ball thrown in. And but they're obviously no, no. I've got to get right to the line, and I can throw. And I know that it's slightly changed recently, um, but a few years back, it was you had to literally put your foot right next to the line, and then you could play. I was watching some netball the other night, and actually, I thought they had loosened up some of the interpretations. Yes, they have. But yeah, I, I I don't know that for sure. That was just based on me watching it, thinking they had. So yeah, I think the other thing I've got, which they could do. It is the law book quite clearly says teams form the line out without delay, sanction free kick. Yeah. So does that mean you can hang around 20 metres from the line out in a huddle, having a chat, deciding what you're going to do, strolling into the line out, then having another chat and then throwing it in? You know, the amount of time wasted on line outs now is incredible. Yeah. Yet you've got a law there that stops you doing it. I mean, what are they doing in training ground? Do they not know what they're doing? See, I think you should have to run to line-outs because then you get a much faster game, you get much slimmer people, um, you get more space because people would get tired. Yeah. So there's American football team, one of the college ones, Oregon. They went for this really fast, no-huddle style of play. Um, and they were so quick that the sort of people marking the 10 yards couldn't keep up and things like that. Yeah. And they were almost forced to slow it down, but they just ran teams off their feet. There's no reason why there couldn't be kind of a shot clock type thing put into place, I suppose. Um, but do you even need a shot clock? Not, not yeah. a shot clock, but like, a, um, like in basketball, you've got six seconds to get the ball back in play, haven't you, from from the basket being scored. Yeah. That kind of approach would help. You know, If you're not back with him, you are going to lose the ball. That free kick should be enforced. And yeah. people would then soon, as you say, start to start to adhere and just say, actually, you know what, maybe we are faffing about a bit here. Let's get the ball in play and let's play rugby. And if you think about line out as well, I mean, it's supposed to be a contest of possession, but international teams win 90% of their own ball. Yeah. So it's not even really a contest of possession anyway, is it? Not really. Maybe if you sped it up, it would be more of a contest. You get a few more calamities, yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're the things that annoy me a little bit. I'm an old man. I'm pretty grumpy. <laughs> so, so we talked a, um, a lot about the scrums and stuff. We talked about time in play. A little bit of a comparison with the rugby league, um, which was, you know, obviously we need to get some... You know, the action in the rugby league is, uh, is far more uh, often and uh, there's more of it. Uh, anywhere else you'd like to take it, Andy? Yeah, just while we're on rugby league, um, what... I, again, started in the NRL, which I did find interesting, was they were given the option, if you've got a penalty from about 20 metres out, the standard practice in rugby league is to kick it off the pitch and then have your uh, you know restart the game uh, five, ten metres from the line. Mm. Must be ten metres, mustn't it? Now, the problem with that, of course, is it means that the defence are much closer to you than they'd be elsewhere. Mm. They were given the option of taking a scrum this year. Okay. And you're also allowed to take the scrum where you want. And a lot of the really smart teams, what they did is they would take the scrum on either one side of the pitch or the other. Hmm. So they'd leave a small blind side 
and then you know that big open side to attack into mm. and they were running rugby union style set moves from scrums mm-hmm. and scoring from it and it was just brilliant to see because a lot of the teams didn't know how to defend it because they never had to yeah so they didn't even have to do anything flash because you got no flankers either um and it was just it was really nice to see some sort of something from rugby union uh being nicked by rugby league for a change would you would you be an advocate of seeing the the old school penalty move set play come back into it? Well, I mean, we've seen it in rugby league. Uh, sorry, in rugby union now. Exeter started off. I've seen Watson now doing it. Sale do it as well, don't they? Where they rather than go for the line out all the time, they do tap and go. Yeah, but that's because we know how difficult it is to stop Exeter going over from five meters out. Mm. Uh, Sale are pretty good at it. Wasps are starting to nail it as well. Um, will the wall come back? You never know. <laughs> Bring on the wall. <laughs> Bring on the wall. <laughs> that nobody ever knew what was going to happen. The players, the referee had no clue. There was probably a, a million things that needed to be uh, blown up for because they were breaking so many laws. And then, uh, But nobody knew, so we'll just carry on. And we know the ball's going to hit the ground at some point and then some kid's going to fly hack it the length of the field and score. It, it would have come back in the uh, post-COVID community rugby that was supposed to start again in January or well prior to uh, Christmas. There were no scrums. Yeah. Um, so there were lots of things where there were penalty kicks and free kicks. So we were all getting very excited about penalty moves we could bring back in. <laughs> but the opportunity has gone there, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the uh, COVID has has put pay to this season, hasn't it? Yeah, so there won't be any rugby this year. Right, Andy, anything else to add? Yeah, I think just before we finish up, just back to rugby league. Um, and as much as I've enjoyed it, and I really have enjoyed it, what people forget, something rugby, particularly Australian rugby league fans, is they call union kick and clap um, quite dismissively. But you look at rugby league, um, they do each team kicks a ball roughly 22 to 23 times in a game. Yeah. But you're still watching a game with 45 kicks in it, sometimes 50 kicks. Mm. Often, of course, very different types of kicks. Um, you know, lots of little dinks and little high bombs and the spiral bomb. But there's still an awful lot of kicking. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest problem with rugby league, and it's something there's been a lot of, obviously, press about uh, early onset dementia in rugby union players, which is terrible to read about. Mm. But rugby league's I think, is opening itself up to the same issues. There's an average of 700 tackles in a game. That's phenomenal, isn't it? I, you know, I've not made seven tackles in a season, <laughs> let alone 700 in a game. 700 tackles in a career, Rogers, come on. Well, I, 27 years I played, and I reckon I could count the 27 tackles that I made in those 27 <laughs> years. It's all right. But And so many of those are stand-up tackles. Yeah. Um. And so I just think the opportunity for those sub-concussive blows is really, really high. Um, watching the NRL, they are far uh, far more lenient with what they accept as a high shot. Mm. Things that in union would see you yellowed and maybe even red nowadays are let go. I don't think their concussion protocols are anywhere near as rigid or as strong either. You're seeing people come back on who just should not come back on. Um and it's something that I think league is going to have to uh, to think about as well. Yeah, it, we, I think I don't think there's anybody who's going to argue 
with anybody who says that the game needs to be as safe as possible and every game needs to be as safe as possible. We do realise that there are risks. But when you look at the two richest sports in the world, probably, or two, two of the most richest sports in the world in, in football and, and Formula One, who have only really just bought in concussion protocols, rugby league that's struggling for money is, 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 has, has, got to, has got to do its part, hasn't it? I think it does because, like anything, I mean, every sport should realise, following the American example in American football, that this type of thing was going to come. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's gonna and it's gonna hit. It's gonna hit sport very hard, uh, professional sport, but it's also it will filter down to the to the grassroots level where we're very active and and yeah. we'll always want to do our best by the by the players and the game. I mean, I do point out to a lot of parents, it is very hard to compare the professional game with the amateur because they are such different beasts. Of course. Um, but, you know, I think there's definitely a clear argument to do that. But the world is different nowadays. Um, we understand a lot more. So we do need to make sure we are sort of playing the game safely. Correct, correct. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, always fascinating to, to hear your views and um, obviously something you're so passionate about, which is why you probably get annoyed with the union. Um, but I'm um, pleased to keep yourself busy. You're hearing here you're keeping yourself busy with the with other things and even a bit of netball in there, so that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, I look forward to next week when we'll pick another topic. Have you got one in mind? Um, yeah, and I can't remember what it was that you sent me. Oh, we were going to talk about Matthew Saeed, one of my other favourite subjects. <laughs> Yeah, let's get. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That will be good fun to discuss yeah, some of his views and and it how might be libelous though. That's the only problem. Yeah, might be like, well, have a have a think about how you're going to word things. <laughs> They're only views after all. They are. All um, right, sport. Yeah, good to speak to you. We'll speak to you again soon. All right, bye. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>